Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Well done, Vicki. We really put her on the spot there. Um, hey, well, good morning, everyone. It's great, great to see all of you. Doesn't it feel like spring is almost in the air? That's so, yeah, I know some of you are like coming out of hibernation already. Um, if you were here last weekend, you know that Heather uh, kicked off our 40 Days of Prayer and Fasting series, our Lenten series, and it's entitled The King's Cross. And we're going to be uh, looking at the second half of uh, the Gospel of Mark, and then we're, we're also using a really good book by Tim Keller called uh, King's Cross as a jumping off point. And this series is going to take us up to Easter. Easter is the first weekend of... Uh, April of April, and, and now today's talk may feel a little out of place, uh, but in the flow of Mark's gospel as, you know, as Jesus is moving towards, uh, towards the cross, today's story really sets that, all of that into, uh, into motion, and I, I say out of place because normally we talk about when Jesus uh, rides into Jerusalem the weekend before uh, Easter. If you've been around church for a while, you know that the uh, the Sunday before Easter Sunday is known as? Yay, everyone gets 10 points. Palm, Palm Sunday, and it's called that because Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a Sunday, and the people celebrated his arrival with, with palm leaves, thus uh, Palm Sunday. And, and what I want to do today is I want to look at two perspectives uh, of, you know, of, of this story, the, the people's perspective and the perspective of Jesus. And on the side of the people, what we'll see a little bit today, but more and more as the series progresses, is we're going to see how their great celebration and welcome of Jesus starts to fizzle when Jesus doesn't act the way that they were expecting him to act. And uh, Billy Shakespeare said this. He said, expectation is the root of all heartache. Like, isn't that true? You cannot be a human being and not uh, put expectations on things. I mean, we put expectations on our relationships. We put expectations on, our, on relationships with our pets, right? We put expectations on the things that we buy, those little gadgets that's going to make our life easier or more exciting or help us lose weight or grow hair or whatever, whatever the need is. Uh, we put expectations on the things that we do, our jobs, are, are, you know, going to school, uh, going on vacations, hobbies, almost everything we do in life, there's some level of expectation attached to it. And one of the most challenging things uh, in life is, uh, is dealing with the disappointment that follows when our expectations aren't met. That is a common thing we all struggle with. So what do we do when our expectations aren't met? Well, uh, with relationships, what do we do? We end relationships. We break up. We get divorced. Uh, we disown people. What, uh, if, if a product doesn't satisfy us, what do we do? When you're, you know, I, I sent something back to Amazon the other day, and what, what's the reason? It did not meet my expectations. Uh, we quit school. We quit jobs. We, we complain. We go, I want to talk to your manager. We, we go up the ladder. We sue. We sue each other. I mean, we don't sue each other. We sue other people, uh, and, and we keep lawyers busy. Uh, but that's horizontal disappointment. What do you do, though? What do you do when you're disappointed with God? What do you do when he doesn't meet your expectations? Do you end the relationship? 
do you, you know, do you complain? I want to talk to your manager. Yeah, good luck. Uh, do you try and return the problem? Take my child back. <laughs> take my spouse. Take my career. Take my faith. I mean, what do you do? What do you do when God does not meet your expectations? Well, uh, what we're going to see in the story today, and again, more really as the series progresses, is that unmet expectations, disappointments, uh, literally caused people in the story to miss, to miss who Jesus was uh, and, and, and what he was doing. We're going to see a big difference between what the, what the people thought Jesus had come to Jerusalem to do and what Jesus knew that he had come to Jerusalem to do. So let's pray, and, and then we'll, we'll jump into the story. So Lord, uh, just thanks for today. I, I love when we gather as a church family. I pray for anyone that's, that's visiting today that they just feel really welcome, really at peace. I pray, Lord, Lord, just considering this story, I pray that you would ride into this room today. Jesus, that you would come and surprise us with your presence. Way beyond what I say, I want all of us to encounter you today. So we welcome you here in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, before I read the story, let me set it up this way. Uh, I said that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a Sunday, and uh, it was on a Sunday, which was five days before he was going to go to the cross. And it was also five days before uh, the start of the annual Jewish festival of Passover, which is a Big, big deal. One of the commentaries I read said this, Jerusalem at Passover was the delight of the Jews and the despair of the Romans. And, 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 and it says that because during Passover week, uh, thousands of devout Jews from the, like the known world would converge on the holy city, on Jerusalem. It said that their population of the city would triple during Passover. The city would just be like lit up, a buzz with festival, festival excitement and, and with nationalistic fervor. I mean, if you remember what, what uh, Passover celebration, what it's all about, it's when, it's when the people of Israel are remembering the time when God delivered them out of captivity, when God set them free from, you know, from the Egyptians. And now, at the time of our story, here they are yet again, captives, this time to the Romans, this time in their own homeland. And so, the, you know, there would have been a lot of tension. The Roman military would have been on high alert during Passover. They would have been on the lookout for some young upstart zealot, you know, who gets caught up in the moment and might try to, to stir something up. And it's into that perfect storm that uh, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. So let me read this story. This is out of Mark 11 says this, verse 1. <clears throat> As they approached Jerusalem, they being Jesus and the disciples, and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches, palm branches, they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead... And those who followed shouted, Hosanna, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Okay, so that's, that's the story for today. And in this story, right off the bat, Jesus is doing something that he has yet to have done, or really yet to have allowed during his earthly ministry. Uh, this is the first time that he is allowing, permitting his followers to give a public demonstration in his honor. It's the first time he's letting them, you know, publicly celebrate him. Because think about up to this point, how many times are there stories where Jesus would heal someone and say, hey, 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 don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone who did this. Right? Or, or how many times do you see him really ducking out of the limelight and staying in the shadows and, and withdrawing? I mean, there's, remember the story of the, the feeding of the 5,000, this crazy miracle where he takes a little boy's lunch, a lunchable, and he feeds like thousands of people. Look what happens at, when that's done. Uh, John 6, 14 says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Over and over, he's withdrawing, withdrawing. But today, in the story, far from withdrawing, he is going public. And if you remember what Heather was saying last week, last week was the first time that Jesus went public, really, with his disciples. Remember when Jesus said, hey, who do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, oh, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And Jesus said, you're right, Peter. That's who I am. It was the first time he went public and, and really owned that title. And now, as he's riding into Jerusalem, he is, he is declaring that truth of who he is, really, to, to the Jewish world. And, and so, again, I want to look at the people's perspective and the perspective of Jesus. So the first point is uh, simply what the people thought. What the people thought. So what, what did they think? What did the people think when they saw Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the, you know, on the, on the colt uh, of a donkey. I mean, like when, when they saw him, their expectation, what was their expectation based on what they understood, based on what they were seeing? And, and it was simply this. Hey, Israel, the king is here. Our king is here. Our long-awaited king is here. Our deliverer is here. The warrior king, he's come to destroy our enemies. He's come to set us free. Now, why why would they think that? Why would that expectation get stirred up in the people's hearts? Well, this story, this is one of the few stories that's found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all four of them in telling the story are similar, but they're also different, which I really like because it's four different points of view. And in John's telling of the story, he says something that I, uh, I think helps us answer that question of, of why the people thought this. So John 12, this is what John says about the story. Now the crowd that was with him, uh, with Jesus, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And again, this is the context of the story. When he says they went out to meet him, that means people in the city of Jerusalem, having heard the story about what Jesus did, are pouring out of the city to meet him as he's riding in. Now, why, why is that a big deal? Well, here, here's why I think that's a big deal. That says that before Jesus even sat on that colt and started riding into the city, before that even happened, there was already a huge buzz about him and about who he might be. Like, think back to early on in his ministry, he would get up, you know, in, in, in a synagogue, and he would, he would teach. 
And the people, would, their response would be, who is this guy? We've never heard anyone speak with such authority. And so they're starting to wonder. And then he starts doing miracles. I mean, just imagine he's healing people over and over. He's driving demons out of people. Then he takes a little boy's lunch and he feeds thousands of people. Is it any wonder that they, they were like wanting to make him their king by force? Because they're looking at him going, like, this has to be the one. This has to be the one we've been waiting for. And then, and then to, you know, added to that, now word is spreading around. It's spreading through the city of this crazy miracle that Jesus did in raising Lazarus from the dead. I mean, just imagine standing there watching Jesus, you know, walk up to this tomb. Lazarus, come forth. And here comes this guy walking out wrapped in grave clothes. They saw him go in dead, and now he's walking out alive. I mean, that would be like, like, he has to be the one. Like, who, who does this? We've never seen anyone that, that is like this man. He must be the Messiah. He must be our deliverer. He must be our promised king. And then to top it all off, the sign of all signs. Like, Jesus doesn't, uh, in our story today, he doesn't walk into Jerusalem, right? He doesn't ride a horse into Jerusalem, he doesn't like get an Uber wagon into Jerusalem. He specifically says, hey, I need a colt of a donkey. Not a donkey. I need a colt of a donkey for this trip. And the people seeing him on a don donkey's colt, that is like the final sign that sparks the massive celebration, that sparks their massive expectation. All right, Israel, he's here. Our deliverer is here. Our king is here. He is going to set us free. That final sign put them, I think, over the edge. So let me ask you this. Have you ever asked God for a sign? Like, have you ever, when you're trying to make a decision and you feel stuck, have you ever, ever asked God to give you a sign to show you his will? Like, if you're familiar with the story of Gideon, you can read it later in uh, Judges 6. A common phrase in the church is, oh, I'm going to put out a fleece, which must sound funny if you don't know what that means. But go read the story. And, and really, to say I want to put out a fleece is I'm asking God to give me a sign to show me what his will is. And I remember back in early 2000, uh, my wife Helen and I, we were praying about a big decision. And we were praying about whether or not to move from Western Canada to Columbus, Ohio to take uh, the worship pastor job down at Vineyard Columbus. And uh, at that time, I thought it was Columbus, Idaho. And I remember saying to Helen, Idaho's beautiful. I think we should go. I think we should move there. But Ohio's nice too. I mean, we've got Easton. But, uh, <laughs> but we had this big decision to make. It is beautiful. Hawking Hills is beautiful. Um, uh, but we had this big decision. And we were, uh, during that time, we were flying back from a conference down in California. And we had a layover in, I don't remember, it was in some airport. And, and we thought, hey, let's just go find a, a gate to crash and rest. So we found this random gate, and, and, and uh, Helen fell asleep pretty quick. But I was sitting there thinking, what do we do? Like, what do you want us to do? Do I take the job? Do I not take the job? And, and this is not my normal decision-making process, but I just said, God, would you give me a sign? Like, and then I said this, like, if you want us to take that job, help me to bump into someone from Columbus, Ohio. That was my prayer. Then a little bit later, I went to the restroom, and I was washing my hands, because I always do. I was washing my hands, and behind me, I heard a guy say, oh yeah, I'm going to be landing in Columbus, Ohio later this evening. I thought, is that the sign? And now, I, I didn't engage the guy, because he was in a stall, but uh, like, hey, 
yeah, God just spoke through you. It's like, hey. But, but I went back, I went back to, my, to the gate. I went back to, to my seat thinking, like, was that you? Was that the sign? And just as I sat down over the loudspeaker, I hear this. All right, folks, uh, for all of you heading to Columbus, Ohio, why don't we stand up and get in line? And the whole gate stood up. And I looked around, and we had unknowingly sat in a gate going to Columbus, Ohio. And I was like, I said, Helen, the Lord hath spoken to we. You know, it was like, I literally was like, wake up, wake up. God has given us a sign. And now, now as exciting as that was, imagine this. Imagine if my story was that 500 years ago, a prophet came to my ancestors, which would have been in Denmark, and said, hey, hey, you guys, hey, you crazy Vikings. Hey, you know, uh, God signed to you will be you're going to bump into some people from Columbus, Ohio. Sure, it's not Idaho. No, it's Ohio, right? But, and, and that would have gone from generation to generation to generation, this longing, this excitement. So can you imagine like the, so, and that's exactly what's going on in our story. 500 years before that day when Jesus wrote in, the prophet Zechariah said this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Is it any wonder? I mean, generation after, they're watching and waiting, and, and it's like, it's, it's, is it any wonder that they, they erupt with such kingly praise? Hosanna means, you know, save us. God, save us. Our deliverer is here. You know, blessed is, the, blessed is the, the, the coming kingdom of our father, David. That's kingly language when they talk about David. Is it any wonder that they threw their cloaks down, right? They only had, they would only have one cloak. And for them to throw it down in the road and let him ride over top of it, that was really their way of saying, you are our king, we are your subjects, we give you all that we have. Is it any wonder that they started cutting down palm leaves? Because if you're a bit of a history buff, you know that like, to, the, to the people of Israel, the palm leaf is a, is a symbol of the Maccabean revolt. Like back in 160s BC where they, this, you know, these Jews raised up or, and they, they, you know, they were raised up to liberate Jerusalem from their captives. Like is it any wonder, like you, you can't blame them for the expectations that they put on Jesus. Our king is here, Romans, you are going to get a whooping. That's what they would have thought. But remember last week, Heather said something many times. She said, well, yes, he is the king, and yes, the king is here. But she said this phrase, but he is a different kind of king. She said that over and over, like, like he's different. He, yes, he is the king, but he's different than you think. Yes, he has come to deliver you. Yes, he has come to set you free, but it's from a different enemy than you think. He has come to set you free from an enemy that is much greater, much more powerful, much more dangerous than even the mighty Romans. So, number one is what the people thought. Number two is uh, what Jesus knew. And, uh, you know, one of the things that stands out to me in the life of Jesus, especially around this time as we move towards Easter, was how purposeful he was to do what was written about him, like what was, what was prophesied about him. Just consider there's stories in the Bible where it'll say stuff like, you know, Jesus did blank in accordance or in agreement with Scripture. We just see over and over, there's you know, all these prophecies in the Old Testament that are, that are prophesying about who Jesus will be, what he's going to look like, 
what he's going to act like. Like There's all these prophecies. And, and you, when you look at the life of Jesus, it was very important to him to, to do everything that was written about him. In Matthew's account of the story, he says this regarding uh, Jesus uh, asking the disciples to go and get him, specifically the colt of a donkey. Matthew says, this took place. Jesus did that to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And then Matthew goes on to quote the, the Zechariah 9 uh, passage about the colt of a donkey. Jesus, knowing that that was prophesied about him, did exactly what had been, what had been said. Now, why should that be important to us? Why am I spending time on that? Like, is that, well, okay, God's a, he's a high achiever. He's OCD. I mean, what, what, like, why should that be important? Why should that be encouraging to us? Because you know what that says? That says that God will do whatever he says he will do. Like, think about that. Like, our God is a God of his word. If he says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. Isaiah 25.1 says, Lord, you are my God. I honor you and praise you because you have done amazing things. Listen to this. You have always done what you said you would do. You have done what you planned long ago. Like, that's so encouraging. Like, you have always done what you said you would do. Think about that. Look back in the Bible. Think of all the promises that God has made, all the things he said he would do for you. He said, I'm going to supply all your needs. I'm going to give you your daily bread. Um, I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to finish the work I've started in you. I love that one. I'm going to guide you through this life. I'm, I will always be with you, he said. I will comfort you in the dark valley. I will give you strength for the day. Like on and on and on. All these promises. God is a God of his word. And he will do exactly what he says he will do. But here's the challenge. In the context of expectations and disappointments, God doing what he says he will do doesn't always look the way we think it's going to look. And like therein is the rub. Like that's the challenge. And so the people in the story seeing Jesus riding on the colt understandably thought what they thought. You know, God save the king. Here we go, Romans run for the hills. And that's what they thought, but here's what Jesus knew. Here's what we, he knew in, in fulfilling the prophecy regarding the cult. He knew that he was declaring himself to all those people as their king. He knew he was declaring himself as the Messiah. He also knew that in doing this, he knew that it would provoke the religious leaders. And, and, and that would set in motion his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion in accordance, in agreement with the scriptures, you know, in, in order to fulfill what the prophets said about him. And it's at this point in the story where we really start to see the, what the people thought and what Jesus knew really start to, to, start to uh, part ways. Um, it's interesting to me when, how when it comes to the Bible, uh, we're better at remembering the parts of the Bible, the verses that we like, like the warm, fuzzy, hallmarky voices. We, we don't seem to remember the hard uh, verses. Like, like last weekend, Heather said, uh, remember she quoted when Jesus said, hey, if you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross daily and follow me. Like, I have never seen a coffee mug with that scripture on it. Like, have you ever? Never. You never see that one. Like, oh yeah, that's a, you know, but, but. It's really, it's similar to what's going on in the story. The people, their expectation, what they thought, what they drew from that prophecy was accurate, but not fully accurate. They, they forgot the next verse. So let me read verse uh, 9 and then 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. 
Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then verse 10. He will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. Wait a minute. If you do that, how are we going to whoop on the Romans? How are we going to make war if you get rid of all the ammunition? He will proclaim, this king, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. See, he, yes, he was their king. But he was a different kind of king. He did not come to make war on the Romans. He came to make peace between God and his people. He came, he came to, to do a much greater work, to do a much deeper work of deliverance. He, see, what Jesus knew that the people didn't know was that, hey, you guys, your true enemy, your true enemy, he's not going after your city. Your true enemy is going after your soul. He's going after your eternal soul. And, and Jesus is like, I have come to do a much greater uh, deliver, work of deliverance. One that doesn't just last till the next stronger enemy comes along and takes you captive. right? One that will free you, a work that will free you both in this life and for eternity from your true enemy. Romans 3.23 says this, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty for our sins, he did the deeper work. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The king, this king hadn't come to Jerusalem to sit on a throne. This king came to Jerusalem to be nailed to a cross. And, and, and what we see in the story is that the people, because of the expectations they had on him, they were blinded to that. They were blinded uh, to, to, you know, like what he came to do wasn't what they expected. And really, I think it's accurate to say it wasn't even what they wanted because they were so blinded, they didn't even know what they actually needed. And, and, and so they were missing what Jesus was doing. Listen to how Luke says, and you know, in Luke's rendition, uh, he sort of talks, as Jesus gets, gets closer to the city, he says this. As he, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, Oh, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, what would bring you true peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. See, He's weeping. I mean, imagine, I just try to imagine that massive party. Everyone's, yeah, you know, the king is here. The king is here. And they're all at Jesus. They're all looking at Jesus like this is the guy. He comes over the hill and, 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 and the city just sprawls out and he sees it and he just bursts into tears. Can you imagine the people walking near him thinking, what's up with him? Like, why is he weeping? And he was weeping because he's looking at the people and he's like, oh, you're missing it. You're missing it. That is not what you think. That's not what I have come to do. What I have come to do is, is, is very different than what you think. And, be, and as long as the people would, were holding on to their expectation of him, like, no, you must do this in order for us to have peace. You have to defeat the Romans for us to have peace. As long as they held on to that expectation, they were going to miss what Jesus came to do and what he was offering. And I believe it's the same for us. So let me end with... a. Uh, with a 
Simple uh, application. Number three is this, when God disappoints. And notice I say when, not if, right? It's, it's just a matter of time. Like when, when, God, uh, when God doesn't do what we expect him to do in our lives or in the lives of our loved ones. Like disappointment is a big part of life and of the Christian life. And, and so, you know, it's so like, what, what do you do when you've prayed and you've prayed? And God just seems like, please hang up and try your call again. The number you've reached is not in service, <laughs> right? Or whatever, I can't remember that. But, right, or when, when, when you, you know, when, there, when the pain doesn't go away, when you pray and you pray and you don't get the job, and you don't get the scholarship, and you don't get the girl, and you don't get the guy, and you don't, and you don't, and you don't, and it's struggle, and it's all these hard things, and it's all these things that don't make sense. What do we do with all that disappointment? Because as humans, we're not built to carry all that. That overwhelms us. We are not built for that. So what do we do with it? Let me read a, 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 a verse that many of us know that I think is incredibly helpful. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. See, I believe, what do we do with the disappointment? You know what we do? We play, I remember a game we played as kids called Hot Potato. Remember that game? Yeah, like we didn't have, you know, we didn't, we, we actually didn't, we played games where you didn't use your thumbs. But I remember a game, you'd sit in a circle and you had a ball and you had a, a ball and you pretending it was hot and you'd throw it around. And the trick was you don't want to hold it too long because it's a hot potato. You have to throw it away. And I believe disappointment, all those emotions, it's like that. If we hold on to it too long, we're going to get hurt. Like we need, to, uh, we need to exchange our questions. We need to exchange our fears and all the emotions. We need to exchange that with him for his peace. And so it says, we trust in the Lord with all our heart. We trust in him with all our heart. Like what I love about the Christian faith, the true Christian faith, is that it is a very honest faith. There's nowhere in the Bible says, hey, turn that frown upside down. Christians are victorious. I want to see smiles. I mean, there's like put on that mask. There's nowhere in the Bible tells you to do that. In fact, it's just the opposite. Like the hymn book of the Bible, the book of Psalms, is loaded with laments where people are emoting their pain and their questions, and their anger. And they're saying to God, where are you? Like, and, they're, and they're, they're being raw, and they're being honest. Jesus on the cross, our perfect example, what does he say? My God, my God, why? Why? Why have you forsaken me? Like, you know, I was thinking about that. Jesus knew why he was doing what he was doing. Like, I believe he said that as a gift to us. The, the relationship that the father wants to have with you, he wants to have an honest relationship where you can go to him and say, why? Why? Why did she have to die? Why is he sick? Why does that happen? Why don't you step in and fix that? You could do it. Why? 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 Like, here's the thing I'll say, though. That's a question he rarely answers. But the Christian faith and what we need to learn is when you turn to him and say why, when you trust him with that deep question, here's what's happening is you are opening yourself up to the presence of God and the thing that you really need is not an answer. The thing that you need is to know that he's with you. He's with you in that hard, hard place. And so, you know, our faith is, is meant to be an honest faith. But then 
Notice in the passage that there's movement, that there's not just exchanging of our emotions. We need to make an exchange of what we think for what we trust that he knows. It says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, submit to him. Submit to him. I mean, if, if he doesn't know what's best, if he isn't bigger than your life, why are you following him? Right? And it's, and it's, when we do that, it's when we turn from what we understand to, and trust him, that grows our faith. Right? When, we, when we literally make the exchange of our perspective for his it's where we discover, it's where we find those straight paths that he promises us in this life. So, yeah, we'll end there. Here's what we want to do. <laughs> Why don't we stand up? Why don't we stand up? We're going to go back into worship. Yeah. Carter's going to come in a bit at the end of worship and lead us in communion. And if you don't have communion elements, they're in the back of the tables. As we worship, please go back and get them. Because then at the end, Carter uh, will come up and lead us. But I just want to encourage you as we worship. I encourage you, get in touch with those deep feelings, those disappointments. And, you know, you've got a mask on. You could say all kinds of things. We can't read lips. But just as we worship, just be honest with the Lord. So let's, let's worship, and then we'll, we'll take communion together. Well... Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.